Isaiah 55, verses 1 through 3. Ho, oh, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why do you spend money for what does not for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me. Listen that you may live and I will make an everlasting covenant with you according to the faithful mercies shown to David. Amen. Well, I want to use this as a preparatory message for communion here tonight and give you three simple points, each coming from one of the verses here. First of all, verse one, we see a universal invitation to poor and needy sinners, a universal invitation to poor and needy sinners. In verse two, we see, secondly, Isaiah giving us a sound argument to come to Jesus Christ, a sound argument to come to Jesus Christ. And then thirdly, we see from Isaiah a covenant promise that comes from Christ, a covenant promise that comes from Christ. So a universal invitation to poor and needy sinners. Verse one, a sound argument to come to Jesus Christ. And thirdly, a covenant promise from Christ here. Let's talk, first of all, from verse one. If you have your Bible with you again, look at verse one. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come by and eat. Come by wine and milk without money and without cost. Now, here in this verse, Isaiah is giving us a universal gospel invitation to anyone who is sensible to their poverty and needs to come and enjoy the blessings of God. And those blessings are symbolized here in the things that are mentioned. Wine, milk, bread. Symbols of God's goodness and God's blessing here. But we need to understand, boys and girls, that Isaiah is not chiefly speaking here about wine, milk, and bread. What is he doing here? He's talking about God himself, the blessings of God himself, symbolized in the blessings of God. That is, the blessings of wine and milk and bread are a part to teach us something about God himself. That the Lord is a God who blesses us and he is freely offering himself to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice here that we see in the first line, first of all, the NAS calls it, Ho, it's kind of a hearken, listen. Um, it's to grab your attention. Ho, and he says, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. So what we see here is, first of all, everyone is able to come. Everyone is invited to come. It's a sincere gospel invitation. This is what we call the free offer of the gospel. We preach the gospel universally without discrimination to everyone as a church. We, we proclaim that Jesus Christ has died for sinners and everyone is welcome to Jesus Christ. Everyone may come. Everyone is uh, commanded to come. We, we seek to implore people uh, to come. But the, the invitation is universal. Everyone may come. But also, there's a necessity, though, here. While the offer is universal, we see 
it is offered to those who recognize their thirst. For people who see that they are poor, they recognize that they don't have the means to get these blessings. But they are invited to come. They're not excluded here. Everyone uh, who senses their poverty is invited to come. And nobody can say, well, you know, I'm too poor to come. I'm too much of a sinner. I've done too much in my past. There are too many things to be forgiven. I'm too poor that God could surely be inviting me. And that, of course, is not the truth. That's a lie from the evil one who seeks to dissuade people from Jesus Christ. That they, that they are too poor. You know, it is said that sometimes the devil comes to your back door by way of temptation. Once somebody has fallen in to temptation, then the devil comes around to the front door and tries to persuade you that there is no hope uh, for you uh, after the sin. And we see here that that is exactly what Isaiah is saying is not the case. Isaiah here is saying this is a universal invitation to people who recognize their poverty to be able to come and drink of God from God's goodness, from his bounty here. We see this uh, echoed in the Gospel of John in a couple places. For example, in the Gospel of John, chapter 4, this idea of being sensible to one's own thirst and the need for refreshment. In John chapter 4 and verse 13, Jesus here talking with the woman at the well, Jesus answered and said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again, meaning the water that was in the well that the woman was at. But then in verse 14, Jesus says this to the woman at the well, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst. Now, what kind of water does Jesus give that causes you never to thirst? Well, it's the water of the spirit of God. He says, the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. God gives us water that is not found in merely the creation. But notice here, Jesus says, whoever drinks of this water that I will give him shall never thirst. Again, we see the universal invitation here. Again, in John chapter 7, a few chapters later, John chapter 7, verse 37, Jesus says, if anyone is thirsty, notice that, if anyone is thirsty, let him come. You can come tonight to Jesus Christ and you can drink of the grace of God tonight and be forgiven of all your sins. The Bible says that the gospel is for whosoever shall come unto him. Uh, that he will not cast you out. That in, invitation includes you personally tonight that I'm speaking to you. Uh, whether you're here tonight in this room with me or whether you're listening on the Internet. Jesus is inviting you to come to him and believe on him. So the invitation does in no way exclude anyone. And you are a part of that invitation. But one of the things we also need to see here in this text is that we are poor and we are needy. We are sinners. The Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all have fallen short 
If God were to measure our sins, Psalm 130, who among us could stand? Not any one of us could stand. All are in need of grace and all are in, in need of, of his mercy. But we have to recognize that when we come to the offer of the gospel. We need to see that we are a spiritual street person. We have nothing that we can offer an infinite God, an eternal God. God says in Psalm 50, if I was hungry, I would not tell you. That is, if, even if God had a need, and it's a hypothetical, he, he wouldn't tell us. Jonathan Edwards made an interesting point about this, uh, the sense of poverty and coming to the free offer of the gospel and the story of the lepers during the time of the Assyrians surrounding Jerusalem. And Edwards uh, makes a really interesting point. He compares it to somebody who finally comes, if you will, to uh, their senses about their true condition and, and realizes that there's nowhere else to go but to the Lord Jesus Christ. You remember the story, boys and girls, the Assyrians had surrounded Jerusalem and they were threatening to overrun the city. It was under siege. It was under attack. And the situation had become so desperate that the, there was hardly any food left. Um, and they were starving to death. And these lepers decided, you know, we have a choice. We could stay here, you know, outside these walls of Jerusalem and, and continue to starve. Or we could go to the Assyrians and and they might kill us. Um, but we might also find mercy. And Edwards kind of says in the same way, the sinners kind of in a comparable situation. Um, God could judge us. For those sins. But if we go to him, we might find mercy. And so what they what do they do? Well, the. Lepers say, let us go. If we die, we die. And yet, what do they find? They find the camp empty with all the plunder that had been left behind. You remember how uh, God caused the Assyrians to turn on each other and they ran and they left everything behind. And so the lepers were able to take all this plunder. And then they realized, you know, this isn't good for us to have all this plunder and not be telling others of what's just happened. And they go back and they they tell others. But the, the lepers realized that they had nothing left. Uh, they, they were broken with leprosy. They were starving. And the worst that could happen is that they would end up dying. And it, but instead, what do they find? They find the grace of God. Here we have an invitation to people who are thirsty and have maybe even spent all their money on the things of this world, and yet nothing satisfies. What kind of invitation is this? Look what it says here. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Is, is an invitation to buy without money? Who's ever heard of that, boys and girls? If, if you go on Amazon and you want something, and you click the button, they want money. They want a credit card number. <laughs> or that package is not showing up on your front door. 
And here we go. God is saying, I will sell you something for free. I will sell you something without money. How can I have something, you say, if I have nothing? Well, because of the free gift of God. The Bible says that even our faith in the Lord is a gift from God. When we put, we give God our trust, we put our trust in him, we have faith in him. But we have to realize even that came from God. So there is a sense that we really have nothing. We can't even boast in our faith. Those who have faith did nothing to acquire it or earn it. And yet, true faith allows a sinner to buy the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thus, you who have nothing in and of yourself, yet by God's grace, you may purchase salvation. Even tonight, with all the blessings that are found in Jesus Christ. Faith is the instrument, if you will, for the, the transaction. Faith is the empty hand saying, I am poor and I'm laying hold of Christ. Faith is... The Roman centurion who says, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof. Just say the word. Faith is a Syrophoenician woman grasping at even being called a dog and saying, oh, but even the dogs get crumbs from their master's table. Faith uh, exercises, it recognizes its poverty. The, the Roman centurion said, I'm not worthy. The Syrophoenician woman was willing to be called a dog and yet... She by, had faith in Christ, knowing that Christ could give her all that she needed or all that he needed. So when you come to recognize that you have nothing in and of yourself, that's a good place to be. Now, the Lord's table is set before us tonight. And the Lord's table is a picture of the bounty of the Lord. It's a picture of the body of Christ. Jesus is the bread of life and we may come and eat of him. And Jesus' blood forgives us of all our sins, cleanses us of all our unrighteousness. And those who are sensing their poverty can come and buy and eat. And you're welcome to come to the table when you put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, young children, we want you to put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. There's nothing better in this world than to put your trust in Jesus Christ. There's nothing in this world that compares to the love of God. There's nothing in this world that can satisfy the human soul like a relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. There's no possession that you can own. There's no amount of money in your bank account. There's no human earthly relationship that compares because the love of Jesus is better than the love of women. The love of Jesus is that love that sticks closer than a brother. And, and so in, in Jesus Christ, we have everything. We, he is everything to us. He means everything to your parents. He means everything to those in this church who have professed their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And, you know, our hope is that you, too, will see the riches of the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll put your trust in Christ. Now. Having looked at the um, invitation, the universal invitation in verse one, look at verse two. Isaiah is now going to make an argument for putting your trust in, in the Lord. And verse two, he says, why do you spend money for what is not bread? OK, so they're making a, an unwise transaction. Isaiah is criticizing them that they have been spending resources for what ultimately cannot make them happy and satisfy them. He says, why do you spend money for what is not 
bread and your wages for what does not satisfy. They're spending the resources, the blessings that God has given them. But those blessings are not meeting their need. And so Isaiah is asking the people, why do you forsake the true bread? Why are you forsaking the son of God in Christ? Uh, in, in, you're investing your resources in things that leave no lasting satisfaction. Now, Isaiah is asking the people here for a reason. This is a rhetorical question because he's trying to compel them to action. That they would turn, that they would realize they've been making bad transactions. They've been, you know, to use the uh, imagery of Jeremiah, they've been building cisterns that hold no water. Um, you know, why do you keep using these cisterns that are leaky and, and uh, can't hold what you need? So what Isaiah is doing here is he's saying, look, I'll make you a deal. I'll offer you an abundance and I'll do it without cost. You're spending money on what doesn't satisfy. I'll offer you something that satisfies and it costs you nothing. It's a free gift from God. Now, what is this satisfying bread? Well, I think John tells us in chapter six, it is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. John chapter six and verse thirty one. John six, verse thirty one. Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, he gave them bread out of heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread out of heaven, but it is my father who gives you the true bread out of heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. Now, what is that bread that Jesus is talking about, boys and girls? It's the bread that Isaiah is talking about. It's the it's the bread that satisfies. And they said to Jesus, going back to John here, they said to Jesus, Lord, always give us this bread. And Jesus said to them, and these are the key words. I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger and he who believes in me will never thirst. There's the the operative sentence. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be satisfied. Again, in verse 41 they, the Jews were grumbling about Jesus because he said, I am the bread that came down out of heaven. And Jesus goes on. They were saying, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can this guy be the bread of life? We know where this guy comes from. We know he's from Galilee. We know he's from Nazareth. And Jesus answered and said to them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. Let me go on. He says in verse 47, he who believes has eternal life. And he says again, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread which comes down out of heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. What is that bread again, boys and girls? It is Jesus. The bread that comes from heaven, that if you eat of this bread, you will not die, is Jesus Christ. If you will eat of Christ, you shall live forever. Now, of course, this eating of the bread and eating of Christ, the feeding on Christ is a, 
a figurative term. It is putting your hope in Christ, faith in Christ, loving Christ, uh, knowing Christ. Jesus said, I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread also which I give for the life of the world is my flesh. And again, later he would say, he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. I would suggest to you that that is what's being offered in Isaiah 55 too. that Isaiah is offering the gospel in a more in, 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 a, in a more typological form. But but I think Jesus is making it explicit that that which Isaiah speaks of in Isaiah 55 is Jesus Christ himself. The Son of God. He is the bread of life. He is the one whose blood will cleanse us and wash us and whose blood will give us eternal life. Now, how do you eat? Now, boys and girls, we don't eat. This is not to be understood as literal eating and drinking here. This, we do literally eat the bread at the Lord's table. We do literally drink of the cup. But those are signs of the spiritual reality of eating and drinking Christ. This has, of course, been misunderstood through the centuries and parts of the church where they thought that simply by eating of the bread and drinking of the cup, they had the forgiveness of sins. Not realizing that the eating and the drinking is to increase their faith in Jesus. They are to believe on Jesus. They are to feed on Christ in a spiritual manner, not in a, as the confession calls it, a corporal or carnal manner. But we feed on the person and the work of Jesus for me. His life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, everything about Jesus, his humanity, his deity. It is, it is all there for me to believe on, trust in, hope in, look to, to feed upon him. It's, why do we use that language of feeding, you say? It's kind of icky. Yeah, that's, that was the problem the Jews were having here in this chapter, John 6. This idea of eating his flesh, drinking his blood, what's he talking about? But it, it, is, it is the idea that as you eat, it, it becomes a part of you. And that as you believe on Christ, as you trust in Jesus Christ, as you put your whole soul's weight upon Jesus Christ, he becomes a part of you. He lives in you. His spirit resides within you. You are in union with him. You're united to him. You have all the benefits of his life and his death. There's no condemnation for you in Christ Jesus. God is perfectly satisfied with the divine wrath that he has poured out on Jesus Christ on your behalf. And the law of God asks no more. Now, when you, you feed on Christ, it's a way of communing with him as well. We, we, we think of meals as a time to fellowship. Uh, it's a communing one with another. And so when we come to the table of the Lord, we eat together of this bread and of this cup and we commune together with Christ. Christ is spiritually there in the meal, blessing us, increasing our love for him, our faith in him, our trust in him. Jesus is this bread. And Jesus is symbolized at this table tonight. I don't think it's hard to see the value of these questions. You know, what is the, what is this bread, particularly in our culture that is a consumeristic culture, a culture that 
is used to getting what they want. The customer is always right. Do we, we buy things. We don't even have to leave our home anymore to get those things. But many people forsake the bread of life, Jesus Christ, for things that are not going to satisfy. Amazon won't satisfy. You know, you, you read these horror stories where people who get depressed and because they get depressed, they start spending and the Amazon boxes start piling up. There have been stories, I don't know if you've seen them, of you know people who have uh, just bought tons of stuff on Amazon because it's so easy, isn't it? Just clicking the button, uh, hoping that something will dull the pain, hoping that something will make this uh, fallen, sinful world seem better. If you look at the second verse, Isaiah is saying, why do you spend money for what is not bread? Why, why, do, you, why do you spend your wages at Amazon, which won't satisfy? He says, listen carefully to me. He said, this is what you need to do. Eat what is good and delight yourself in abundance. Choose the best portion. Choose what can never be taken away from you. Choose Christ. Delight yourself in the Lord. Delight yourself in Him, in His Word, in in the Lord's day. Eat and feed on Jesus, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, God in flesh, carnate. You know, young people, um, you need to, as you grow older, beware of the, the siren call of the world that seeks to get you to put Christ aside and try feeding on these other things. Trade in the bread of life for this pleasure, that pleasure, this thing. The world is saying, this is what will make you happy. This is what will satisfy you. And you need to be aware of that. Delight yourself in the Lord enough that as you walk through, as uh, John Bunyan called it, um, Vanity Fair, the attractions that are seeking to get you to come away from Christ are, are not attractive to you. I've got to move here to the final verse, verse 3. You see an invitation in verse 1. You see a sound argument in verse 2. And then Isaiah leaves us with a promise, covenant promise from the Lord. Incline your ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. And here's the promise. I will make an everlasting covenant with you according to the faithful mercy shown to David. Now, I don't know if you were paying attention to the Old Testament reading tonight when we were reading First Kings chapter 15. But one of the things that stood out to me as we were reading was that you had a king who wasn't all that faithful, and yet God still blessed him. Why? Because he was of David. He was part of the covenant of David here. And the promise here is that when we unite ourselves to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we, when we come to Jesus by faith, we put our trust in him, 
He makes a covenant with us. Now, what is a covenant? Well, covenant is a promise. It's an agreement between two parties. And God is saying, I'll make a covenant with you. If you will put your trust in Jesus Christ, I will make this covenant with you according to the faithful mercies shown to David. Basically, you will be my people. He says in verse five, behold, you will call a nation that you do not know, a nation which knows you not will run to you because the Lord your God, even the Holy One of Israel, has glorified you. He will bless you. And then you see it again in verse six. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. And he will what? He will have compassion on him. He will abundantly pardon, etc. God will make a promise to you that if you will come to him and draw near to him, he will he will make a covenant with you. And God will be faithful to the covenant. Now, how do we know this? Well, we know this for several reasons. Number one, we know because of God, the nature of God. God is faithful and cannot lie. Number one. Number two. We know that the covenant that God makes with us, the conditions of that covenant have been met by Christ. And therefore, we know it's a sure covenant. You see, the the problem with the former covenants that God made with his people was that the people always fell short of the conditions of the covenant. And so here comes Jesus and he makes a new covenant. In the upper room, as he's breaking the bread, as he's passing the cup, he makes a new covenant with us. But here's the difference. He will satisfy all the demands and conditions of the covenant for you, for the sinner. He'll do the obedience that is required by the covenant. He will pay the full penalty that the covenant stipulates needs to be paid for any violations. And he will bring you all the blessings of that covenant. As you trust in Christ, Christ fulfills all the promises of the covenant to you. And so we see here that the Lord, and and this was always the plan, that the plan would always be Christ, the mediator of this covenant, and the one who would fulfill its conditions. But because Jesus Christ has fulfilled its conditions, we, we can have an assurance that this is an unshakable covenant, um, a covenant which we can rest in. Let's pray together. Father in